Welcome to another place in time Where one day you'll be dead or you'll survive Hello everybody and welcome to Dead or Survive. I'm Rob Riches. And I'm Cheryl Riches. And she is in a weird mood, folks. Weird, weird <laughs> mood. It's just so you know. <laughs> oh, I just made myself laugh so hard. <laughs> over nothing. That's the sad part. It's over nothing. I think I'm just tired. I'm overtired. <laughs> I think. It's been a really long, emotional weekend. It has. Um, so... As you know before from previous, uh, if you've been listening and following along, my best friend passed away, or close friend of the family, not just my best yeah. friend, but Cheryl's best friend as well. Uh, so the celebration of life was on Saturday. So, and again, when we say he's close to our family, our entire family and Cheryl's entire family came down as well. So everybody was at our house. and Yeah, they were been... so closely woven into everything in our lives. So, well, I shouldn't say. Leah is still. Yeah, Leah is still <laughs> yeah. in our lives. <laughs> what have you done to Leah? <laughs> But uh, yeah, he was, well, they, they are, and, and, and Ken, you know, was so much, and it's just yeah. camping trips with family and everything. Like I say, when we say he was more like a brother than a friend, right. he, he truly was. Yeah. Anyway, so that celebration of life was uh, this weekend, and all of our family came down to support uh, Leah and stuff, and a lot of them stayed at our house. So it's, uh, you've got a lot of emotions going on, a lot of uh, emotions at the celebration of life, and then you got people here, so it's it's draining. And then I got punched in the face yesterday. You deserved it. <laughs> Whatever. I Next guess it time wasn't I, yesterday. That was Friday. That was Friday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. all. That's what you're leaving <laughs> it with. You're just leaving <laughs> I it with you that. Would jump in. Why should I jump in and tell your story? <laughs> you yeah. did it. Oh, <laughs> he, I did it. <laughs> he punched me in the face, square in the nose, so hard. I thought I was gonna have two black eyes. So Next time, me... supper will be ready on time. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> Let me like expand on this. Yeah, a little before bit. the cops show up <laughs> yeah. tomorrow, right? And I'm arrested for spousal abuse. <laughs> we have this snowblower that sometimes likes to start, but usually it doesn't. <laughs> and it's brand new. That's yeah. the thing that ticks me off the most. We bought this brand new when we moved to our, our new house because before we had a we lived on a farm, and the farmer would come with the tractor and clean yeah. it out for us, so yeah. we never had to worry about it. Yeah. So I bought this thing and I think, what'd you say? I said, it, I said it starts up maybe 50% of the time and you said more like 30, yeah. 70. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, we've taken it in. We've had the carburetor clean twice. We get told to do this and then we do that and that doesn't work. And then this and that. So I really wasn't yeah. thinking so we, it was going to work. I thought I was going to have to pull the tractor. Out. Right. We figured, well, let's just try it anyways. Cause we got quite a bit of snow on Friday. Anyways, we were pushing buttons and dials and trying to get this thing started. Oh, no, don't skip that part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, on lawnmowers and snowblowers, you have a primer. Well, my wife was sitting there trying to prime the snowblower by pushing the electric start. I didn't have my glasses on. <laughs> and it's not like we use the thing very often. The electric start. <laughs> Anyways, the point is, I was standing too close. My bad. <laughs> But he went to pull the cord to start the snowblower, and I was standing right behind him. And the cord was a lot more slack than he was expecting, so I got his fist. That's because it actually started first pull. <laughs> I was expecting I had to pull it three or four times. Square in the nose to the pat to the fact that I had to like cover my face with my hands. I thought there was blood gushing everywhere. I staggered backwards. I thought I was gonna have two black eyes, but. All in all, there was just a little bit of blood, no black eyes. Just, I've never been punched in the face like that before, ever. <laughs> That's probably a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. You should see how it feels when I'm trying. Oh, Remember yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, at least you were wearing gloves, like you said. It probably would have been worse. So anyways, it was an accident. Yeah. I still feel bad about that. And then... Last weekend, the dogs locked me out of the house. Oh, yes. You've had a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah, it's been. A <laughs> so during a big snowstorm up here in Canada, my wife lets the dogs out. Two of them take off. So she yells at them. The other one gets scared because she's yelling. <laughs> so he runs into the house. The door gets shut and she's locked outside for 20 minutes in a snowstorm. Like, goes out to the barn. It was, a, it, it was thundering and lightning. It was a blizzard and it was thundering and lightning. It was so strange. 
conspiracy theorists say that it was um, aliens. aliens and stuff yeah. coming. <laughs> Anyways, the neighbor helped me get back in. I won't tell you how because we don't need people breaking into our house, but he helped me get back in. Yeah, so that's that. Yeah, you've had some excitement. Yeah. Anyways. That's that. Yeah, I went Monday and picked up uh, Ken's ashes with uh, Leah to make sure she was okay and stuff and did that. And then yep. a couple of days of work and then off Friday to help set stuff up. So, yeah, it's been a draining week. Yeah. Yep. But enough about our babble and our wines and stuff. Yeah, I have some. Um, we uh, we sent the uh, the Yeti out. Yes, I don't I don't, it... it hasn't arrived yet. I just checked I the I told tracking. you to pay for priority. Well... So I you know she's was... cheap. That's <laughs> why you haven't got it yet. I'm a little bit cheap. <laughs> I said, just pay for it so it gets there. No, it'll go through the mail fine. I'm like, no, put it in FedEx. No, we'll just use Canada Post. <laughs> Wrong answer. Now she's tracking it. Yeah, it'll be there, I'm sure, by uh, this week. I sometime. hope so. We did mail it. It's yeah. been mailed. We have a tracking code. <laughs> yeah. We're following it. Oh, we're a mess up here. <laughs> Our little podcast is a mess. Well, it went into the... It went into the States. It's doing a far trek, our little Yeti. Yeah. Well, not only that, but it was weird because she went to check it and it's like, well, when we dropped it off Monday, I'm like, we didn't drop it off Monday. Yeah, and I dropped goes, it off Tuesday. And she's like, yes, we did. It says right here. And I'm like, well, I had Monday off and I went with you to drop it off. <laughs> and she's like, well, how did that happen? <laughs> so it's out there. Somebody's yeah. getting a Yeti. We're hoping yeah. it's Natasha. <laughs> it has been sent. Yeah. It is in the States. We can no longer protect it here in Canada. Right. Okay. Should we get on with our show? On with the show. This is it. You only know that because of Looney Tunes. I know. <laughs> I know why I know it. Are you reassuring yourself? Were you making sure you had it right because your memory's horrible? Is that why you said that? I know exactly where I got it from. Okay. <laughs> but it's actually like a show tune, like before Looney Tunes. Yeah, I don't care. Okay. It's Looney Tunes. All right. <laughs> That's what it is. I don't okay. care what it was before. <laughs> There's a hundred songs out there that have been remade. Like, I love you or whatever it is from The Bodyguard. Whitney Houston, Dolly Parton wrote yeah. it and tried to sing it. So yeah. did somebody else. You know, it's the Tiffany song, I Think We're Alone Now. That was actually recorded by a man. Oh. Yeah, that's right. Go. See? Okay. I know we, lots of things. We need I just to get, don't we care. We need to get on with this podcast. We need to do this. I'm the one. I said this is it. Go, and then you brought up okay. Looney Tunes. You just want me to jump right in? I will then. Why wouldn't you just jump right in? Because Don't you normally jump right in? No, usually you say, do you have a drink? And I say yes. And you say, do you have a story? And I say yes. Well, I didn't know if you wanted to tell everybody that you had a special story this week. I have two, but first I'm going to tell mine. And then I'm well, going to... Well, why? Read... Is more important? Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Cheryl has a special story this week. She's very excited because we I have am. another... We had somebody write in. It's very exciting. So I'm going to read a listener's episode. So she's got two short stories today. A listener story. A listener I should say. story. Yeah. Oh. Yes. So she only had to do half the work this week. So she's been lazy <laughs> on the story. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I deserve a lazy week with the week I've had. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I didn't get a lazy week. <laughs> okay. Anyways, I will tell you that. You have a story? Yes. You have a drink? I have a drink. A little rip potato chip. I have a very, very large Arizona iced tea that my daughter left behind for me. It's huge. Gonna... It is huge. And she's going to take a drink right now, mm -hmm. so I have to fill in the dead space. Okay, I'm done. You're done? Okay, You're ready to I'm go? I'm going to tell you about Moro Prosperi. Moro? Moro. Moro. <laughs> uh, he was born in Rome, Italy on July 13th, 1955. 1955. That was yeah. a good year. You would know. One I do year... <laughs> know. I read books. One year prior to graduating from his secondary school, Moro began working for... The Polizia di Stato, which is the National Police Force of Italy as crowd control police officer, which is kind of weird. He's in high school and the police are using him as crowd control. I don't think that would apply here. Why? Do you think it would? I don't think yeah, it I think would. it would. Crowd, con crowd control? That's probably like an easy thing to work him in. But I don't think they'd hire anybody under 18. Oh, he was under 18? Well, he's in secondary school. I was 18 in secondary school in grade 12. Doing OACs? I wasn't. Okay. You weren't 18 in grade in grade 12? Oh, I guess. Yeah. I guess I was. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Okay. After being a <laughs> after he became a police officer, like 
in real life. And that was his career. But Morrow was also a big time athlete. He participated in the 1984 Olympics as a pentathlete. Oh, yeah. Nice. What is that? I wrote it down because I knew you were going to ask. Athletes compete in five disciplines. So they go on teams and they compete in fencing, swimming, riding, shooting, and running. Oh, I remember that on a video game I used to play. You had to do all those to win. Yeah. Was it the Wii? Was it the Wii? Maybe. I think it was before that. No, I think it was like when, no, it was Nintendo because I had to use my lighter because <laughs> I smoked. I had to use my lighter to go really fast over the button so you could do it. <laughs> you cheater. Okay. Anyways, he, <laughs> he loved running. So marathons became his thing. He said he loved marathons because it brought him so close to nature and they take place in beautiful settings such as mountains, deserts, and glaciers. He heard about a marathon called Marathon Disables from one of his friends. This marathon is the stuff of legends. Well, there's only one reason to run, and that's if something's chasing you. Yeah, I hate running. Like I, I, hate, just, I yeah, despise it. Yeah, uh, it is a grueling, multi-stage adventure in one of the world's most inhospitable environments, the Sahara Desert. I think Canada's worse. I don't know. They run actually, a marathon in winter. Come up here in January. They say that it is indisputably the toughest foot race on earth. In 1955. It wasn't, he's older now. That was when he was born. It's 19, hmm. didn't I say it was 1984? No, that was when he was in the Olympics. Yeah. Okay. Um, it is six days running over 250 kilometers across endless sand dunes, rocky hills, and white hot salt plains, carrying what you need to survive on your back. Yeah. In Canada, we call that a vacation. <laughs> the race is so risky that you have to sign a form to say where you want your body to be sent in case you die. So Morrow was like, yeah, let's do this. And he began training right away. He was running 40 kilometers a day and reducing the amount of water he was drinking to get used to dehydration, which doesn't sound like a fun thing. I wouldn't want to get used to being dehydrated. Well, you probably got to do it because if, if you don't drink enough water and stuff, your body can start oh, I, cramping. I, I know. I understand why he does it. It just sounds like an awful thing to do. Well, you just don't like the idea of not drinking. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and we're not talking water. <laughs> His wife, Cynthia, was worried. They had three children under the age of eight. Morrow was trying to reassure her by saying, the worst that can happen is I'll get a little bit sunburnt. Well, he's on my Survivor podcast, so I'm going to tell you that's not the worst thing that can happen to him. But he survived. He survived, yep. These days, if you run the marathon, you're surrounded by many people. There are 1,300 people. So it's like this giant snake of follow the leader, and you've always got people in your sight. But Morrow ran this race in 1994. There you go. I did put a date. <laughs> it's so good that you know your stories. <laughs> At the time, there was only 80 participants. So most of the time, Morrow was on his own. So the first three days went well, and Morrow was having fun. The fourth day was the longest and most difficult stage of the race. And the fourth day, things went sideways. When they set out that morning, there was already quite a bit of wind. He had passed through four checkpoints when he entered an area of sand dunes. He was alone, and the pacemakers had gone ahead. Suddenly, a very violent sandstorm began. The wind became furious, and he was swallowed up by a wall of sand. He was blinded, and he couldn't breathe. The sand stung his face like needles. He turned his back to the wind and covered his face with a scarf to protect his face. He had to keep moving to avoid being buried in the sand. Eventually, he found a sheltered place and crouched down and waited for the storm to end. It lasted eight hours. That's going to put him behind in the race. That's what he was actually concerned about. See? Yeah. That's not what I would be concerned about. But he That's totally what I'm was. concerned about. I'm losing. Yeah. I just lost eight hours. When the wind... You know I'm very competitive. Yeah. Uh when the wind died down, it was dark, so he slept out in the on the dunes. And I, and I put, he was upset about the race because until then he had been in fourth place. But he thought, oh, well, I can't win now, but I can still make good time. You have 36 hours to run that stage of the race. Any longer and you're disqualified, so there was still a chance. What he couldn't have imagined was how dramatically that storm would change everything around him. He, oh, the landscape. Yeah. yeah. He woke up very early to a transformed landscape. He was lost, but he didn't know it yet. He had a compass and a map, so he thought he could navigate, but he didn't have any points of reference, so it made using a map a lot more difficult. 
He was worried because he was sure that sooner or later, he, sorry, he wasn't worried because he was sure that sooner or later he'd run into somebody. He also thought that there must be other people out there in the exact same predicament, which I didn't read that there was, but you would think if there's an eight hour sandstorm that it would have happened to other people. Well, somebody, yeah, because I mean, if he was in fourth place and it hit him, yeah, you'd think there's people everybody ahead behind and people him. Behind. Like yeah. a lot, like, well, if there was 80 participants, there's 76 behind him. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I don't know. I didn't see that anybody else got lost. So I don't know. He just did. Um. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, after running for four hours, he climbed up a dune and he still couldn't see anything. So now he started to worry. At this point, he started to walk because he was still running. <laughs> He's still running the race, trying to like navigate and, and get in there. Uh, and, but at this point, he thought, what's the point? Because he realized he was lost. The first thing he did was to urinate in his spare water, water bottle. Why do I have, I say water bottle so many times in my episodes and I never say it right the first time. Have you noticed that? Well, it's always water bottle. It's because <laughs> hooked on phonics didn't work for you. <laughs> anyway. How many times do I have to say that in episode? I'm sorry, people. She's on hooked on phonics. <laughs> okay. He did it now because it's best to save your pee while you're still well hydrated. Your urine is the clearest and the most drinkable. Don't drink your pee. It's bad for you. If you get lost anywhere, it's bad for you. It actually starts to shut down your organs because that's your body's way of getting rid of waste. Uh, and you're just, are you sure about that? Yeah, I'm sure. And every, in every story that I researched where people are drinking their pee, there's always a side note. Don't do this. It's bad for you. But if you are going to do it, do it like he did it right at the very beginning because the more dehydrated you get, the more the, the salts and stuff uh, build up in your urine and the more worse, like the, the more bad it is for you. The more worse. The, whatever. The know? more bad, the more worse. <laughs> it's bad for you. Okay. He still thought that he wouldn't actually need to resort to this, but just in case. Just in case. He was prepared to spend some time surviving in the desert. He had a knife, a compass, a sleeping bag, and plenty of dehydrated food in his backpack. The problem was water. At every checkpoint, they were given fresh water, so he didn't carry a whole lot with him. At this point, all he had left was half a bottle. He knew that this meant serious trouble, so he tried to be as careful as possible. He would only walk when it was cool, early in the morning, and again in the evening. During the day when he wasn't walking, he would try to find shelter and shade. He was wearing two hats a baseball cap with a red woolen hat on top of it to keep the temperature as constant as possible. Luckily, he had uh, naturally dark skin, so he didn't get too sunburned. On the second day at sunset, he heard the sounds of a helicopter coming towards him. Here we go. Yep, they won't see him. <laughs> I don't even care. You don't even have to tell me this part of the story. There could be an entire parade going on. And it goes a kilometer <laughs> beside him and nobody would see him. Well, I mean, if the first no, helicopter came, but listen, no. if the first helicopter came and found him, what, is that really a good story for me to tell? Yes. No, probably not. It's not the stories that I find in my research. It's the ones that but it alarms me. Yeah, I know. It's true, right? Yeah. So he didn't, he didn't get seen. He took a flare, actually, out of his backpack because they had these small little... They missed him with a flare? With a flare, yeah. He had this small one, like it's it was pen-sized. And now since this happened tomorrow, they've changed those flares. So now they have the big, like, if you're out in the ocean flares that you have to carry with you when you're on the races. And the runners are actually a little bit upset about that because it's the extra weight that they have to carry. But it's because of the story that they have to carry those now. Oh, so now everybody's mad at Morrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. After a couple of days, he came across a marabout, which is a Muslim shrine. It is the a place where the Bedouins stop when they are crossing the desert. He was hoping that there would be people there, but it was empty. Actually, there was there was somebody there, but he was dead. It was like a shrine. <laughs> well, that helps. That really lifts your spirits. <laughs> it was a shrine. He was like a person of like, he was... Um, I don't know, a religious leader. It was his shrine. He was left there on purpose. Um, but he had a roof over his head and some shade. He ate some of his rations, which he cooked with fresh urine. Yummy. Not the bottled urine that he was saving to drink. He started to drink that on the fourth day. 
The marabout had filled up with sand from all the sandstorms, so the ceiling was very low. So he went up onto the roof and planted his Italian flag, hoping that anybody looking for him would see it, which is kind of smart. I liked that. I thought that was smart. That's fantastic. A helicopter couldn't see him. I'm sure they'll find (laughs) the flag. While he was up on the roof planting the flag, he saw some bats huddled together in the tower. No! Yes. No! Yes. No! Here we go. First of all, (laughs) I'm Batman. (laughs) Second of all, COVID! (laughs) Well, I'm going to tell you, he grabbed a handful of bats cut their heads off, and mushed up their insides with a knife. Then he sucked out their insides and drank their blood. He ate at least 20 of them raw. Oh. Isn't that gross? Well, I guess survival. <laughs> I guess. He stayed in the marabout for a few days waiting to be found. Eating bats. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if he turned into Batman. I'm Batman. Uh, after being in the marabout for three days, he heard the sound of a motor, an airplane. Oh, I missed them too. He moved into action and started a fire. He burnt whatever he had, including his backpack, hoping that the plane would see the smoke. But just then, another sandstorm hit. Of course it did. It lasted, this time, for 12 hours. The plane didn't see him. He became depressed and convinced that he was going to die. But he didn't want to leave the marabout. His fear that was if he left the marabout and he died out in the desert, nobody would ever find his body. And if nobody found his body, his wife would not be able to collect his pension for 10 years because that's how long it takes for Italy to declare somebody dead with no body. Wow. Yeah. That's a long time. Seven years here. Yeah. He decided he didn't want to die a long and agonizing death and that he was going to take his own life inside the marabout where he was convinced somebody would eventually find his body. He wrote a note to his wife with a piece of charcoal and then he cut his wrists. But because he was so dehydrated, his blood had thickened and it wouldn't drain. Imagine that. You're so dehydrated, you can't even cut your own wrist. That's depressing. Yeah. The following morning, he woke up. Death didn't want him yet. He saw this as a sign. He regained his confidence and decided to see it as a new competition against himself. He became determined and focused again. Murrow, the athlete, was back. But he needed a plan. As a former pentathlete, he was used to training 12 hours a day, and he had trained well for the marathon disables, so he didn't feel too weak. He also had energy pills. He decided to get out of the shrine and start walking again, but where to? He followed the advice of the Tuareg that the Tuareg had given all of them before they started the race. If you're lost, head for the clouds that you can see on the horizon at dawn. That's where you will find life. During the day, they will disappear, but set your compass and carry on in that direction. And so that's what he did. He walked in the desert for days, killing snakes and lizards and eating them raw. He was losing an incredible amount of weight. The more he walked, the looser his watch felt on his wrist. He started to really study the desert and noticed that there were little sources of food everywhere. He recognized dry riverbeds where succulents grew, so he squeezed their juice out and drank that. Meanwhile, the organizers were out looking for him. His brother and his brother-in-law had flown in from Italy to join the search. They found some of traces that he had left behind, like his shoelaces. They got to the marabout and found signs of him, but they were sure that they were looking for a body. So that's kind of like he should have maybe stayed at the marabout. He, they would have found him at that point, right? He was still out in the desert. On the eighth day, he came across a little oasis. He lay down and drank, sipping slowly for about six or seven hours. He saw a footprint in the sand, and he knew people who couldn't be far. The next day, he saw some goats in the distance, and then he saw a young shepherd girl. She saw him too, but she was too scared and ran away. The girl ran towards a large Berber tent to warn the women that he was coming. There were no men in the camp. They had gone to market, but the woman took care of him. An older woman came out of her tent and immediately gave him some goat's milk to drink. She tried to give him some food as well, but he threw it up. The stomach wasn't taking it, huh? No. He wasn't allowed into the tent because he was a man, but they put him on a carpet in the shade of their veranda. Then they sent someone to call a police at a nearby military base. They like to stay near military bases because there's a little bit of security in that, so... That's what happened here. 
The police came and carried him to their jeep. They brought him to the base blindfolded because they didn't know where he was. And he actually thought that maybe these people were going to kill him the way that they were acting. Well, maybe. Like, what do you think? (laughs) We're going to blindfold you and take you somewhere. (laughs) I've heard that on Dead or Survive. (laughs) Don't do it. When they found out he was the marathon runner who had got lost in Morocco, they took off his blindfold and celebrated. Turns out he had crossed the the border into Algeria, so an entirely different country. That's good. (laughs) Good. Map worked well. Compass was good. (laughs) Knew what direction he was going. (laughs) He was 291 kilometers or 181 miles off course. Oh, my God. That's like when I let you drive. Ever. That's a lot of walking, though. That's Three, a, yeah. 300 kilometers in 10 days in the desert. And that's when, with how many days did he spend sitting and not going anywhere, right? And so, I hate sand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not easy walking. They took him to the hospital in Tindouf, where finally, after 10 days, he was able to call his wife. And the first thing that he said to her was, Have you already had my funeral? He had lost 35 pounds, his eyes and liver had been damaged, and he couldn't eat anything other than super liquids for months. It took him almost two years to recover. But four years later... He's doing the damn race again. Jesus! People don't... Why? Why? He he says it's because he just loves the desert so much. And when he was out there and actually studying it, he just found this love for it, and he just can't wait to get back to it every single year. So... Yeah, that's moral prosperity. Has he ever won it? I don't think so. Of course not. <laughs> yeah, go. I think it would have said. Yeah. Like, and he went on to win, you know, but it didn't. So, yeah, that's him. That's story number one. Poor okay. Morrow. Yeah, why is he poor Morrow? Got stuck in the desert. Yeah, but he got rescued. But really? He did end up getting divorced, so there's that. Well, yeah, because he... <laughs> Because she probably went, really? You're going back? Yeah, I think that was actually part of it because he, like, he just thought he was so determined to keep doing Well, and it was training. Like, he's never at home. He's just training all the time. So I think that was part of it. But I guess you are who you are. Okay. Do you want to hear our listeners' story? Absolutely. Okay. Nothing would excite me more. I'm going to read it. Because I know you're excited. (laughs) I am. And I like it when you're happy. All right. Okay. Hey, guys. I've been catching up with your podcast episodes for my truck, just finished episode 20, and am, and am enjoying your vibe. Although I don't expect my story to be used on your show, given it's not as dramatic nor dear, near death as the ones I've heard to date, I thought I'd share it anyways. Well, surprise! We don't care. <laughs> We're one of those low-budget podcasts. Like, we'll just take anything. Yeah. Give it to us. <laughs> what? You stubbed your toe? Send me the yeah. story. Did it hurt really bad? <laughs> Cheryl will read it. That's how excited she is. Don't ever underestimate it. You walked across hot sand to get to your truck at the beach? Oh, you're a hero. (laughs) Tell her. Okay, background. My daughter was to do an exchange for her degree studies in Australia, and I volunteered to accompany her on the trip and keep her company while she found accommodations, etc. So, yeah, let's go to Australia. Dangerous country in the world. <laughs> where everything's trying to kill you everything tries to kill you good <laughs> idea good good next and you're letting your daughter go good job <laughs> that'd be awesome to go to australia it eh? would yeah i would like to go one day it's just can you imagine the flight there like greece was so long can you imagine that it's an isn't it almost like a day i don't know i just feel I like thought it was like 10 or 12 hours oh is it Oh, I don't know. It just feels like I, I almost lost my mind on that flight to Greece. So did I. You should have seen who I was sitting beside. <laughs> After a week in Wollongong, which is about 45 minutes from Sydney, Jamie and I secured a room in a shared house, and I, being the frugal traveler, was staying at a hostel near her new place. Ooh, do you know how many movies are about hostels? I couldn't stay in a hostel just because of those. Those movies scared me. We went to one hostel. Yeah, in Ottawa. <laughs> Didn't we go to another one? No, I don't think so. She was spending a lot of time getting to know her new roomies. And since I didn't want to be that dab, I was spending most of my days exploring on my own. Each night coming back to my bedroom in the hostel to share my experience with my own roomie, Busker Dave. (laughs) With who? (laughs) Busker. 
busker dave you busker know, dave. Do you, know what, you know what a busker is right like no. they, they're the people that perform on the streets oh is that money. oh he was a religious based guitar player that spent his days at the train station playing for commuters so for my close call experience mount kira has a lookout where you can see the city of Wollongong and the ocean. Climbing to the top was one of the day trips I'd hoped to share with Jamie before I headed home to Canada, but she wasn't interested. Now, my cell phone only worked when I had Wi-Fi access, since it's a work phone, and I'm not to incur charges for personal purposes. Just to add to this, 19 hours yeah. and 50 minutes. Can you imagine? That sounds terrible. I would really, really like to see Australia, but I'd really like teleportation to do <laughs> Oh, we'll work on that for you. We'll put that on the to-do list. Build teleporter. Okay, it's on the, it's on the whiteboard, honey. All right, all right. As a result, I'd taken screenshots of the bus routes to get to the start of the trail, and I wasn't able to cross-check my progress after I left the hostel that morning. The buses in the city are all free. That's super cool. Um which is nice, which is a nice benefit. I found the bus stop and after riding the entire route without seeing the stop I needed to exit, I sparked up a conversation with the driver and he recommended I get off near the university and walk from there. This was not the route I'd researched and it didn't sit well with me, yet I ignored my intuition and set out, set out as suggested. Best idea to do when yeah, you're in a country to the bus that was- driver, the random yeah, bus driver. Yeah, the one that was, the, you know, a country that was founded on criminals. Yeah. <laughs> They'll never steer you wrong. <laughs> I walked through a regular neighborhood to find an opening in a frost fence line, which had the trail marked. Hooray! I found it, I thought. On the way over, on, on went the over-the-ear headphones, and in came the Neil Diamond Greatest Hits playlist. Can I tell you how much I love that? <laughs> I know, because you actually like that stuff. <laughs> Who listens to Neil Diamond? You! <laughs> you do! <laughs> okay all right the path was very steep but clearly a trail for pedestrian use railway ties in some places were on the trail as steps and periodically small wooden posts with a placard could be read to learn about the trail or its history i was really into the music and enjoying the physical difficulty the incline and the inconsistent footings provided the trail finally came to an opening where a bending road and guardrail abutting the trail had me to stop to contemplate my bearings. I was confused that I'd found a road when I was certain the lookout at the peak was where the trail would end. I stopped at the road and saw three young guys who I assumed were university students standing looking confused. They asked me if I knew where the trail to Mount Kira started. I still had my headphones on, so had to lure them to speak with the boys. I told them that I wasn't from the area and that I was just following the trail, pointing behind me. With that, I turned to continue on and and stepped around a tree that had fallen at the bend of the trail. It won't be until after that I will understand that this fallen tree was blocking a sign, warning that the trail was closed and dangerous. Yep. As my buddy Neil played Suleiman from my headphones, I started back up the hill. I saw that the boys followed me, which would creep me right the hell out. Three people following me in the middle of a... Yeah, anyways. That's me. Um, and I wanted to put some distance between us and really quicken my pace. So hurrying along the trail, which became less and less like a ma maintained and well-traveled route, I came to a spot that gave me two paths. Looking back, the boys were nowhere to be seen. I chose the trail to the left, and I used the term trail loosely. It quickly turned into more of a ravine where rainwater must travel down the mountain, and I was less walking now and more crawling up the mountain, grabbing roots of the trees to help pull myself up. It doesn't sound like a trail nope. <laughs> anymore. Nope. No. <laughs> you ever heard the term <laughs> off the beaten trail? Yeah. There you are. That's where this that's where that term came from. <laughs> when I reached the top of the ravine crevice, I stopped to consider my next move. I was aware that I wasn't on any real trail any longer, but I could see the sky through the trees, which had me convinced that I was close to the top. The thought that if I just kept going, I'd find the lookout from this backdoor route per se, and I set out across the side of the steep slope holding onto the small trees to avoid falling down what was likely a hundred feet or more. I did stop periodically to look back at where I'd come from, aware that I may need to retreat at some point. 
may I add that I was a Boy Scout and had participated in orienteering races as a teenager, tripped into the backcountry canoeing in Canada, and I was in the reserve military, so I have some exposure to nature and survival education. Anyway, it wasn't long before the lateral route along the steep terrain opened up to a meadow-type environment, and the sky was clearly opening up ahead. I felt relief and hastily pushed forward the tall grass, maybe three feet tall, toward the opening in the trees. Here is where I realized I had come to the wrong I had come the wrong way after all. There was a 90-degree cliff face in front of me that was not passable without ropes and skills to use them, both of which I didn't have. Well, there goes your Boy Scout training. <laughs> Always be prepared. Always be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> I turned to make my way back down the mountain, and as I worked through the tall Can you grass, imagine that, though? You're going out. You just think you're going to go on this trail. Like, you know it's going to be a little difficult, yeah. but, you know, like like Algonquin, right? Easy, medium. Yeah. I'm doing the hard trail today. Yeah. Rock cliff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Damn it. I didn't bring my carabiners. <laughs> Where were they? They're at the hostel. Um. I turned to make my way back down the mountain, and as I worked through the tall grass, thinking I was following the same route, I popped out at the top of another rock face cliff. So he's, like, lost. He came out somewhere where he didn't expect to be coming out. Twice. Twice. It was at this time that panic set in. It dawned on me that nobody knew where I was. My cell was almost dead from listening to music. I had a granola bar and a half of a water bottle of water. Wow. You could, of water. you could make it across the desert with <laughs> Save that. Save your pee. <laughs> it would be dark in maybe two hours. I was not able to go up or down. I took some deep breaths trying to stay calm and made good choices going forward. More methodically than before, I stepped slowly back toward the top of the mountain, finding the spot where I'd first decided to turn around. This time, I kept my head up and walked two to three feet to the left of my last attempt to find my way down, again without luck. I did this systematically four times, each time moving my path to the left a few feet, and each time my heartbeat and anxiety increasing. The last path had me into an ear that looked like it could be the slope with the small trees I needed to grab to avoid falling, and I had some hope. I moved along the side of the steep slope and saw the top of the ravine. My heart started to rerun at a normal pace finally. I scurried down the ravine, and when I felt I was finally going to be okay, I stopped to take a selfie, knowing I'd want to tell my daughter about my misadventure. At the bottom of the ravine, I stood at the Y in the trail that I'd chosen the wrong way, and I thought to myself, I never did get to the top. (laughs) Don't do it. Here we go again. Here we go. There's probably time to get there before dark. I already went the wrong way, so the alternative must be the correct path, not knowing that the whole trail was in fact closed. With that, I turned left and not back toward the road area. The trail was much more like an established path, but there weren't any signs to read or railway tie steps. I was at a near jog trying to make up the time I'd lost, wanting to reach the top after all. When I reached more tall grass, my mind began to doubt my choices to continue on, and with this, I stopped right away to turn around. Yay, he's not a Darwin Award winner. <laughs> not going to make mine. <laughs> As I defeatedly made my way back into the near dusk path, my mind wandered after seeing deer scat to what my Australian busker friend had told me the other night about where there are deer in Australia, there are dingoes. And with that, I picked up a big stick. <laughs> My heart began to race again, but this time with the thought that there may be wild animals about and that I hadn't seen another person since the boys at the road many hours earlier. And they were delicious. (laughs) Don't worry, the dingoes are busy eating. Don't worry about them. The dingoes got them. They're full. (laughs) A few times I stopped to consider if I was in fact headed the correct way. Once I reached that now familiar tea in the path, my mind finally became relaxed, feeling I was safe. When I arrived at the road, I sat at the guardrail to rest, looking over my shoulder, seeing that the danger sign hidden behind the tree and laughing at myself for my missteps of the day. As I followed the original path back toward the university, I stopped to take some photos to be able to share the what I thought was a near-death experience with my roomie and my daughter. Funny thing, 
Busker Dave said I was extra lucky given that there are lethal snakes and spiders all along that That's because Australia <laughs> wants to kill you. <laughs> and previous tourists had gotten lost and died up there. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that is a good story. That is a good it. story. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I enjoyed reading that. Yes. Well, we're... So thank you. Thank you so much for sending in a story. Yes. It makes her very happy. All of our other listeners, take note. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Travel to Australia, <laughs> let something try to eat you, get lost, and send it to us. What is your problem? So that's it for your stories, that's it eh? For my stories, good job. It was long ones today. Yeah, it was, and mm -hmm. thank you for uh, writing in. That's much appreciated. It does make my wife happy. She loves that. Mm -hmm. And we're at the part where I go. If you're liking us, please follow. Follow. Click like. Subscribe. Subscribe. And we also say thank you. Comment. Commenting is good. Commenting is good. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you thank for everybody you for that listening. has. We have had an uptick in uh, follows and people listening, and we appreciate it. So Absolutely. obviously our core people are telling more people, and more people seem to be enjoying it. So we thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, we do appreciate it. And now I'm going to tell you about silly people. Okay, you do that. Silly Johnnies. I want to hear about Johnny. So all of these take place in Russia, because I'm mad at Russia for going to war, and they're stupid, so I'm doing stupid Russian oh, wars. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I like when you have themes. So our first Russian Darwin is... Okay, but let me just pause. Uh, let me just pause, okay. because I'm sure it's not the people of Russia that are saying, let's go to war. No, no, I know that. I'm just saying <laughs> okay. Russia is a country. Okay. I'm not saying that everybody from Russia is a Darwin award winner either. <laughs> I just wanted to, like... Clarify. Yes. No, I'm okay. upset with Russia, the country. Right. Okay. And their choices. Okay. Carrying on. <laughs> I'm also upset with um, the people that are fighting. Yeah. <laughs> Who are they fighting? Your Ukraine. Yeah. Why are you upset with them? Because I'm sure they could have sat down and worked it out. Oh. <laughs> sure. Okay. I mean, my God, Ronald Reagan, the actor, got someone to take down a wall, for God's sakes. <laughs> Be smarter, people. All right. Let's go. Can I go back now? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I guess Johnny is still Johnny in Russia because I don't know how to say it in Russian. So, Johnny. It's Johnny everywhere. It's worldwide. Johnny everywhere worldwide. Uh, he was a proclaimed psychic who was convinced that he could stop things with his mind. Oh, please don't tell me he tries to stop a train or something. He's tried to stop a train. <laughs> No. So he went out, and first he was stopping bicycles. But it was people stopping him in front of him because he's standing in front of him. And then he ran out, and cars were stopping. And he's like, I told you all I can do this. Oh, no. And he ran out onto a train track, Oh. and he tried to stop. Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. And the engineer put on the whistle and tried to stop, and he didn't. That is some kind of um, like God complex for sure. Yep. <laughs> oh no. So, yeah. So he must have told people that I can make things stop. Otherwise, his story wouldn't be known. They would have just thought he was trying to kill himself. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's what he's telling people. That's what he said. Oh, he would yeah. tell people he's oh, a proclaimed yeah, yeah. psychic okay. and he could stop things. Yeah. He would jump in the lanes and stop. You yeah. don't listen to my stories, do you? I do. Well, I was so taken aback that he was trying to stop a train. <laughs> well, here's another good one for you. Okay. So a Moscow builder, Johnny, mm -hmm. was drilling the foundation of a garage on a street in the south of Moscow. Suddenly, he noticed something shiny attached to the rapidly spinning auger. He didn't. So he bent down to take a closer look. Okay. But at that moment, while he was down in there looking at it, his jacket got snagged in the auger, wrapping his arm and then his entire body around the moving drill. Oh my when God. the workers finally stopped the machine, only the man's legs below his knees remained intact. Oh my God. Yeah. What a visual. Because he saw something it, shiny. It must have been a big <laughs> auger. Yeah. It was, and it, like, how did it, it keep going? He was drilling foundations, so I'm assuming it would be like probably four feet wide at least to build. Yeah, but it's strange that it kept running. Oh, it's powerful, I guess. I guess. I don't know. I don't know what their safety stuff is like there. That's true. Oh, that's just, that However, is such a mess. However, this is not uncommon in Russia. Really? They need better So in safety. November 20 and 20, a worker from the city of, yep, Nabrizian Chenle. I'm not saying that right at all. <laughs> no. 
in West Central Russia was pulled into a drilling machine. And in February 2021, a worker from a poultry farm got chewed up by a conveyor. I think they really need to work on like emergency stop buttons or something, something like that. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. Now, here's another one. And this is such a Russian name. I want to say his name so bad. Okay. I'm listening. Um, oh, you can't. I it's can't. Johnny. Well, it's you can Johnny. tell me later. You can As a child, Johnny promised his grandmother that he would find the elixir of immortality so she'd live forever. Oh, that's so sweet. To, fill his, to fulfill his promise, the boy avidly studied chemistry and biology, graduating from high school with straight A's. He was admitted to two universities at once, the Ural State University and the Medical Academic. See, even smart guys can win Darwin. Definitely. It's not specified. I did a whole series on smart people winning that. Yeah. While in college, he started experimenting by licking cyanide salts from the palm of his hand. That doesn't sound like a smart thing. In his opinion, swallowing various poisons every day would strengthen his body and protect him from death. The elixir of eternal life indeed. He regularly consumed small quantities of toxic mushrooms and other substances. Well, in college, he was, um, yeah, so he experimented with licking cyanide salts from the palm of his hand. Uh, oh, hold on in here. I doubled up on my writing. Do you know what that reminds me of? Do you remember in The Princess Bride when he was trying to win the Battle of Wits? Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. and he had he had poisoned him small, himself in small doses, so he put poison in both of the cups. Because it didn't matter which one he drank. Yeah. He was also doing toxic mushrooms and arsenic. And he urged his friends to do likewise. I shall not die. I have swallowed poison for years. And today nothing can kill me, boasted Johnny. He probably should have spent more time in class. (laughs) Because one day, having swallowed some cyanide powder, he felt a tad queasy. Oh, no. Instead of drinking plain water, he thought, I'll dissolve the rest of the cyanide into it and then consume it as a solution. He thought more cyanide would make it better? Solved in water. He thought with water. What? Yes. How does that even make sense at all? Anyways, he (laughs) slipped into a coma and died without ever regaining his conscience. But his father praised Johnny as a gifted chemist who died for the sake of science. He died because he ate poison. What? For science. He was trying to find the elixir. Huh? No. No? No. Why? That's just... uh, No. Like, I feel sick. I'm going to have more cyanide. Maybe that'll solve it. Maybe it will. It doesn't. Clearly it doesn't. Well, maybe sometimes... (laughs) Here's another one for you. 22-year-old physical education teacher, Johnny decided that he was going to arrange a romantic evening for his beloved Jessica. Okay. So he set up this beautiful, um, nice little picnic and stuff all around this small pond on a slope. Yes. Well, it must have got going well because they got busy in the backseat of the car. You know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. I do. Uh-huh. Yeah, I understand. Uh-huh. Yeah, you understand that? And it got so... Overexuberated that they kicked over, the emer- over exuberated overexerted overexerted. See? My handwriting sucks. <laughs> overexerted. They kicked the emergency brake, so it must have been one oh, in the middle, like a hand crank, a hand yeah. crank or whatever. Yep. Kicked that, and they were having so much fun that they didn't notice that the vehicle ran into the pond, and then once in there, they couldn't get out and they drowned. Oh well, I guess at least they died happy. happy. <laughs> I guess oh, that's so. terrible. I'm going to hell. <laughs> you are. I'm pretty sure you are. But I want to give you one more. Okay. And this is one of the rare ones. This is from Russia. And this is a rare Russian one. Okay. Yep. So why well, this is a rare, this is a rare living Darwin. Oh, okay. So a burglar decided to break into a house in Moscow. Mm-hmm. When in the house, there was an old crippled man. Like he had to use crutches to get around to get into his wheelchair and stuff. Yeah. Well, the burglar's in there while the old man was sleeping. And he went to, and the, the burglar went to take stuff out of his nightstand beside him. And the, and the old man woke up and went, hey, what are you doing? And he took his crutch and he hit the guy between the legs. Yeah. And then pulled the crutch back to hit him again. 
Uh-huh. And before he could, the guy jumped out the window and took off down the road. And all of a sudden, the old man saw something fall out of his out of the crutch. It was his. So when the police showed up, they knew exactly who did it because the burglar was halfway down the road, laying, starting to bleed out, because the man had actually caught the guy's balls. No. between the crutch, the no. little hole in the crutch, and ripped them off when he pulled it back. <laughs> this is why. So he will no longer be able to reproduce, oh, no. but he did survive. But this is but why. That's what fell out of the crutch. The man's balls fell out of the crutch and landed on the floor. But this is why you kept telling me, just remember that you said that. Yeah. <laughs> so earlier, I we were doing a testing thing, and my wife goes, oh, are you testy and something else and blah, blah, blah. I said, remember that you were talking about... I said about... testies, you're testies. Yeah, you're testies. <laughs> I said, remember you said something about testicles. <laughs> That's why I had to tell that one. I was yeah. going to save it, but then after that conversation, I had to go. So the story is, just don't break into people's house. Don't do that. Why? Especially, it's always... It's always the old people that'll get you. <laughs> yeah. You know why? Because they're old. They've lived life. And they don't they're, care. You know, and they don't care <laughs> yeah. anymore. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, I've lived 90 years. I'm No, you're not touching my shit. Yeah. Yeah. I've lived through wars. <laughs> yeah. You think you scare me yeah. with your I have lived, <laughs> I lived. I have lived through two world wars, a great depression. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I might have heard the word fuck once in a while. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not worried. <laughs> they think they're invincible. Yeah. All right. Oh, wow. So <laughs> That was a good episode. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, here we go. Okay, dad joke. Time to end the podcast with the dad joke. Yes. Why did the peanut go out with the raisin? Why? Because he couldn't find a date. Oh, <laughs> the poor raisin. I feel sorry for it. It's second choice. Second choice. Yes. Well... I didn't buy the book. I just read it from it. <laughs> you can blame the kids for that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that is our episode for this week. I hope you enjoy it. Again, follow, like, tell your friends, share it. And come and see us again next week. Yep. Bye. Bye. Okay, I'm testing. So am I. I'm testing. One, two, three. You're testy. I'm testy. You're testies. <laughs>